Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. We were chatting last night. Uh, It came up around the table with my family uh, and, uh, you know, for a number of reasons, but as we were talking about it, one of my children, they were like, well, what's the, like, we had used the word vintage, and they're like, well, what's the difference? And one of my children was like, oh, grandparents are antique, but you and mommy are vintage, was her (laughs) answer, yeah, right? I know, right? I'm sorry, grandma and grandpa, I happen to be in the room. Uh, I know, right? So if you need a definition, there you go, right? Uh, I, I, uh, I want to suggest to you this morning, as we sit with this bit of scripture we've read from Luke, that may feel a little removed from us in its uh, particularity, culturally, religiously, all these kinds of things, uh, that uh, I, I feel like um, uh, the, the conversation around sort of vintage and antique maybe has some, some relevance here. It's an interesting moment in the story. I'm, I'm just going to ask you to indulge me. This is not in the text Uh, But I do think it sort of evokes a kind of feeling in me as a reader, right? We've come through all the things we've read in the Christmas story. We haven't read them all, but we've had angelic visits to individuals, right? They have stepped into barrenness. They have made announcements on the hillsides to shepherds. There has been a kind of glorious disruption of the routine and the normal, right? Uh, As we said here at Christmas Eve, hey, unto you a child is born, right? This, this sort of um, uh, interruption, disruption of what is normal. It's been beautiful and, and glorious. And after all of that, uh, I'm intrigued by what sort of happens next in the text, which is what Kristen read for us this morning. We get circumcision, we get the naming of Jesus, a, a kind of purity, ritual, a trip to Jerusalem, and then sacrifices for Mary, the, uh, his mother's purity, all these sort of really uh, ordinary in one respect things, right? Like we've just come from like angels and shepherds, this, this beautiful sort of the host of heaven. And, and, uh, and then we read this and it leaves me with the feeling of like, what? Right? What? Like this is what comes next. It just feels abrasive, Uh, to me a little right we've gone from the wonder and the excitement of the previous pages of the Christmas story and and all of those things feel like a a relic of a a bygone year right at a moment in your life maybe where you're turning a page or looking to the future bringing the weight of the past all of those things right in this moment in the story we've come from all of this glory uh, and now like we read this sort of nuts and bolts description of what this Jewish family will do as they follow their Jewish customs, and it, it just feels like all of that glory is a relic of the past. It's an antique or a vintage something, depending on your definition of those two things. Whatever they are, right, they're in the rearview mirror. Right? All of the wonder that we've read about at Christmas, it, it feels like in this moment, like it is only something we view 
in the distant past. I wonder if that feeling isn't perhaps a bit of where oftentimes we find ourselves at this moment in the calendar here. It can feel equally as abrasive, as uh, abrupt. That feeling of like, you've just come from the disruption of the holidays. Maybe it's been good, maybe it's been bad, maybe you've traveled, maybe you've been unable to travel and you are hoping to travel, like whatever sort of, maybe you spent time with family, maybe it's been restful, maybe it's been busy, but it's been a disruption to what is normal. And then you wake up January 2nd, 3rd, 4th, whatever, and, and it's like, well, what now? And you step right back into sort of the routine customs of your life. And maybe you carry this feeling of like whatever that disruption was or whatever good you hoped came out of it feels like just something you see in the rearview mirror. It's a relic of uh, something a year in the past. And you're laying perhaps with the feeling, what's next? What, what now? Right? Life has been erupted interrupted for you with the abrasive announcement, hey, unto you a child is born, but now it's like you're just back to the routine of living your life here in Overland Park in Kansas City. Or I wonder if it doesn't relate to your experience of faith. If, if uh, I wonder if this feeling doesn't find some traction in, in how you have related uh, to faith in your life. Maybe as you read the stories of scripture or or think about sort of the faith journey in your life, it feels like an antique sort of vintage relic of the past. Whatever it has been for you or was at some point, at this moment in your life, it just feels like a thing in the rearview mirror. You wake up every day and you're just sort of... Maybe you're in the routines of religion, of custom, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know perhaps how you relate to this feeling. But, but I, I wonder, uh, as we step into this, again, really sort of ordinary bit of scripture, uh, what it might speak to that moment in your life, in mine, in our life as a community. I, I, I want us just to, for a moment, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to be brief this morning it's a new year, a resolution, really. I, I don't know, I shouldn't have said that out loud because now you guys are like, oh yeah, uh, 2023, here we come. Uh, I don't believe in resolutions, so you can disregard all that I said about resolving to uh, be brief. But uh, we're just going to consider a little bit of what happens in the passage, and I hope it will find some um, resonance for you in your faith, in the moment you are in your life, wherever that might be. Uh, It's interesting, right? I just want to draw your attention to some details, uh, really one detail in the passage as we consider what's happening, right? Here's Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus. We've just come through these glorious sort of moments that we celebrate at Christmas, and now they're doing obediently what uh, what custom and their faith requires of them as a Jewish family. And in in tucked within the passage we read, we, we hear the emphasis. We hear it, verse 22, according to the law. Verse 23, as it's written in the law. Verse 24, uh, as is said in the law of the Lord. Right? So in these four short verses, Luke is uh, intentional, right? It feels like, I mean, this is a deliberate move at every turn as he identifies these markers, these indicators in the life of the story of Jesus, these moments, these milestones to draw our attention to uh, uh, where they come from, what, what they're a part of, the law of the Lord. Over the break, uh, um, I was chatting with another one of my children, another one as one of the two, uh, just to clarify. Um, 
I was chatting with one of the children, and uh, we were talking about preaching. And she's like, I wish you would just wing it one time. Just don't. And I'm not sure where this was coming from. I'm like, am I spending too much time preparing? Or like, what? what? She's like, just, just get up there and wing it. I think it'd be really fun. She's like, you know, it'd be kind of funny if you got up there and you like made a mistake. And you were like, you know, Jesus was with his disciples, Peter and John and Kylian and Mbappe, right? And if some of you guys watched the World Cup. You know uh, what I'm talking about, right? We had watched a little too much at that point. And uh, I, I, that was an interesting move, right? Like, I don't know where that was coming from or why she was foisting this desire upon me. Uh, but I read this moment of Scripture, and I think sometimes the feeling of faith in our lives, can, it can feel a bit like, like at least on our end, we're just kind of winging it and uh, just doing the best we can just kind of throwing it together as best we can at times. And here's this moment in scripture where Luke is deliberately drawing your attention and mine uh, to, to the fact that the opposite is true of God's work uh, in, in life, right? These are deliberate markers. Uh, it's explicit and repeated that he is, he is uh, telling uh, his readers and the world that God is not winging it in Jesus, Right, that his answer to the brokenness in your life and the world is not some sort of like Hail Mary pass uh, from the creator. Right? He is not winging it. This is, this is a moment where Luke calls your attention and mine to the truth that Jesus is fully submitting to the plight of his people. Right? And, and the implications of that plight for people all over the world. That he is fully entering into their story. Submitting to the law the law. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a move, right? So uh, all of these steps as his family obedient, obediently follows what law requires of them. Luke pointing it out that Jesus is a part of this story. Uh, and now within this context, uh, it, it will come up later in the New Testament explicitly. Paul on the other side of the story of Jesus his life having been changed by what Jesus has done, not only his birth, but his life, death, and resurrection. Paul will write in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Do you see the, the movement here for Paul, right? Like it, it, it draws our attention back to these details in Luke's gospel that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might be free. I, uh, uh, over the break, um, uh, read a, a biography of a, a guy named uh, Paul Farmer, a doctor, a physician. Uh, the, the book is called Mountains Beyond Mountains. And uh, it's a compelling read. Uh, you know, Harvard trained and worked, in, you know, to the top sort of Boston hospitals. But his sort of life's work was medical work that he did. Uh, it began in Haiti. Uh, uh, working against sort of treatable diseases like tuberculosis. And, and his sort of uh, effort and work was this movement in the West where we sort of uh, draw some lines between like what medicine can do and our treatment of the poor, right? So he's kind of bringing those things uh, together. Again, a compelling and, and beautiful read and went on to uh, sort of do some things globally. It's uh, worth the effort if you're uh, interested. It is it any uh, compelling and moving read. But he makes this uh, statement in it about, um, about what his work in Haiti. So although he's like, you know, uh, 
well-versed and traveled in sort of the moves of the West and the elite sort of hospitals of the East Coast and all these kinds of things. Uh, he's, you know, trekking hours in Haiti to visit a single patient. And his biographer is with them, like, what? Like, questioning the um, uh, uh, wisdom or efficiency of this approach to medicine. And, and uh, so they're kind of having this conversation. And as the organization has grown, um, you know, they've drawn new volunteers into it. It's reaching other countries and other places in the world. And he's having this conversation with a biographer on a particular kind of trek. What, 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 what are we doing? And, and this is what Dr. Farmer says. He's like, I have fought my whole life. A long defeat. You know, he says, people from our background, like you and, and most of the volunteers in our organization, we're used to being on the victory team, he says. But actually, what we're trying to do here in this space with this or organization is to make common cause with the losers. Which is a, a, a phrase that kind of uh, struck me because as we read Luke's story, what we hear is, is Jesus' relationship to the law, that he steps into it, he, he enters into it, but it says something about our relationship uh, to the law, that Jesus is making common cause with people who repeatedly come up short. Right? This is the story of the gospel that again and again, our relationship, the people of God's relationship to that very law is a story of repeatedly again and again falling Short And yet, Paul tells us, Jesus entered in precisely into that space. If, if I could use a contemporary example, some of you guys have seen The Office. Uh, you'll remember at the turn of the, I think it's the turn of the year, one of the characters in The Office, Dwight Shute, uh, Dwight Shute, Dwight Schrute, a quirky guy. Do you guys remember? He comes into the office dressed up uh, as, as Bell Schnickel. Anyone remember? Yeah, it's got like, you know, it's kind of a fun scene. And, and he runs around judging everyone's year. Right? Like, uh, was it impish or admirable? And he, like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a funny moment, right? Belschnickel. And he, he runs around judging everyone. And, and uh, you know, judgment is nigh for the Belschnickel is I. Right? Do you guys remember this scene? Right? I think sometimes maybe that's our perception of what uh, God is like. Maybe, you know, he runs around. Uh, what, you know, I, I don't know. But it is an interesting move because, I mean, the truth is we're all impish. Right? That, that, that what Jesus does is not deny the brokenness of our attempts to live up to and into what the law requires. It's that he steps into it and identifies with us and redeems us, fulfills it, steps into this story and, and, and takes up all of our unrighteousness and falling short and inability to live up to this measure of God's intention for his people and for his world and, and does himself fulfill all of it. He doesn't dismiss it as inconsequential. It doesn't matter. Righteousness doesn't matter. That's not what he says. He says instead, you're right. You are impish, but that is not the whole of your story, nor mine. And so we read in Galatians chapter 4 that he adopts us as sons. Right, the, 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 the word son is specific and particular here, that in a culture where the only sort of member in the family that had promise and future of inheritance, all those kinds of things, right, it was, it was the son that he would take uh, the people who repeatedly fall short, trapped within the, uh, their own unrighteousness in light of the law and would set them free and make them heirs with God. Is the move that Paul takes us through, the promise of the gospel to take you back to Paul Farmer, the, the uh, doctor in Haiti. 
It's towards the end of the book, and the organization is growing. They're doing incredible things, and uh, uh, they're, they're seeing new volunteers come into the organization and expanding. And the leader of the organization, you know, uh, Dr. Farmer is sort of still on the ground all the time. And, uh, but whoever's sort of structurally leading it, the biographer's kind of chatting with them, and he's like, here's the problem, right? This is, we're getting all these new volunteers, and they come in, and they want to do what Paul Farmer does, right? And they're like, there's only one. He says, there's only, there's only one. What he does is unrepeatable, uh, uh, right? That, that, that he is unique in that way. They will, they will burn, they will flame out every time if they, try to, if they try to be another Paul Farmer. He says, what we need for them to do is to come in and let who he is and what he's done change them, shape them, change their vision of the world, how they are to live in it, and then to operate uh, from there, which I, I think is obvious how that may correlate with our experience of of Jesus and what he does in relation to our righteousness or lack of it. Here's where I want us to land this morning. I think this is a moment of the year. Uh, If we think about it at all, I think sometimes it can sort of strike us a couple of different ways. I think on the one hand, we're, we're maybe tempted to believe that we can kind of create the righteousness we crave. Right? We, if we just make enough good decisions, if we kind of get it together, we can change it, maybe change who we are, all those kinds of things, right? So there's this sort of uh, hopeful optimism, by all means, we, we should have that. I think that's one side of it. I do think there's another side of it that oftentimes at this moment of the year, we can be crushed under the, the weight of just how often we fall short. And I want to suggest to you this morning, this little bit of scripture that we've read from Luke is a gospel word to that space in your life because it says to you that the story and to me, the story of your righteousness is written in Jesus. Not in your ability to do it or your inability to do it, but the story of your righteousness is written in Jesus. Not in your self-righteousness, not in your inability to live up to it, not even in your resolve to change, in none of those things, the story of your righteousness is written in Jesus, in his relationship to God's intentions for the world. This is good news. This is good news for you and for me. It's good news for a new year and every subsequent year after, right? It's the good news of the gospel that the story of your righteousness is written in Jesus and not your own. I, uh, I'll close with one more story about my kid. Uh, uh, we, I forget why. Yeah, I forget. Well, you can come on up. I forget why. Um, uh, just Aaron. I, uh, more of you could come up, I guess, but that was specifically meant for Aaron. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, we were talking about, like, I forget why. Like, I don't know. We were reading a book or we were writing. I, I don't remember how it came up, but one, the kid was like, oh, you know, these, I'm going to write. A, I'm going to write. And uh, it was kind of going back through books, you know, books she had written uh, in, as a kid. And uh, we've kept some of them, and uh, we're like, oh, yeah, we remember this one. That was one called Fruitite, and I don't really know what that meant. It was like a play on the word favorite, the spelling of the word favorite, but it was Fruitite, I think. I'm not real sure, like favor, right, food, I don't know. Anyway, that's a detail that is inconsequential to what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Uh, but there was one in there, uh, which again, this was some years ago, and they had been reading these books about fairies. And, uh, oh, you know, 
That's great. Just, just reading is reading, I guess. But I was just like, another fairy book, please, right? Like, uh, uh, just a whole series of these little books about, about uh, fairies, very formulaic and whatever. It was great. But uh, around that time, she wrote a book called The Pastor Fairy, starring me. I know, right? Yeah, weird, right? We, weird. Uh, but it, you know, it, she's like, it, it was, a, I, I, don't, I don't know, right? As a, a, uh, about what it means to be a pastor, I guess, through the lens of whatever fairy book she had been uh, reading. I, I don't know how I felt about it then. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it now. Um, but, you know, she was trying to write, write my story, right? Just uh, a little, little bit of biography. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what you're trying to write with your life. This is a moment of the year where maybe you think about it. You think about what you've sort of brought from the old year. You think about what's in front of you. I'm going to take some time to pray for our church. Think about the future and the coming days, right? Like what you're dreaming. You're doing all those things. You're maybe your goal setting. You're doing all these kinds of things, right? In a sense, you're just like, I'm going to write this story. You think about how well or poorly you've written it in the past and, and what might fill the pages in front of you. Maybe what you've written is as bizarre and strange as the pastor fairy. I don't know. Uh, but the word of the gospel to you in this moment is that the story is not yours to, to write. The story of your righteousness, your, your wholeness, your being made whole and put right. Not just to God, not some sort of moralistic sort of thing, right? I mean, uh, but you're, you're being made whole and right with God and consequently with others around you. That story has been written by another it doesn't begin on January 1st. It started in a manger. It was established on a cross and fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus. That the biography of your life, it's not based on your righteousness. It's based on Jesus's. In, in a sense, right, I heard one author put it this way, you've got a ghostwriter. And if you want to see what the story is like, read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.